DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Sounds like you had a uh, really interesting trip to Saudi Arabia and exposure to a very different culture. Yes. Uh, Tell me your your feelings about uh, wearing uh, hijab the uh, the whole time. I love it to the point where I carry it around everywhere. It's Uh so soft and. It actually feels weird without it now. Huh. That's really uh, fascinating. Uh, I, you're a very nice dresser and wear very different clothes every day and every occasion to fit the occasion. I would think that um, wearing the same thing to every kind of occasion wouldn't suit your personality and background but it sounds like you have a different take. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, that is so interesting because I think that um, you're making me realize that what I wear is definitely for myself and not for other people because I know what I'm wearing underneath the abaya and it's different every day. And so it was still the same feeling. My hair was different every day. Other people just couldn't see it. So it was, yeah, it's really, that's interesting. I never even thought of that. Yeah, it felt like I was wearing something different every day. That's so interesting. Just more comfortable than what I typically wear. Because I was wearing my workout gear underneath. Uh (laughs) Very good. So um, it sounds like you liked the food and didn't have any of your um, uh, usual allergies. Yeah, the only shellfish they really had was shrimp, and it was so clear where the shrimp was, was, so it was really easy to stay away. So that surprises me a little bit because it is a a country that has oceanfront on two sides, right? Well, it has the Red Sea on one side. Yeah. No, they had a lot of fish, Um, but most of their food was, like, grilled so it, I mean, it was clear what the meat was. And then every once in a while, there was kind of like a, I don't know what the name of the food is, but like a shrimp biryani, like where you could see the shrimp mixed in with the rice. And that would be the only shrimp dish. Uh-huh. So they eat a lot of rice? A lot of rice. It is the best rice. Really, huh? The best uh, rice. So I wouldn't have expected that. I didn't associate rice as a Middle Eastern uh, food, I always think of, um, uh, like the know, pita like, bread, like pita bread and they like, had the um, pita bread too. Yeah. And garbanzo beans, uh, mashed. They had lots of hummus, 
lots Hummus. of baba ganoush, like the eggplant stuff. Lots of vegetables. That was great. Yogurt. Yogurt on everything. Oh, really, huh? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Well, I could imagine you liking that. Doesn't sound like it suits Robert's taste uh, perfectly. Oh, no, he was, it was great. They had the grilled um, beef and uh, lamb. Oh, he loved the lamb. And then there was grilled chicken. And yeah, it was good. He ended up eating some of the rice. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Oh, that's fantastic. And so what about all the, the separation of women uh, from the from the mainstream, it sounded like that was a mixed bag from what you uh, wrote to me. So um, tell me a little bit more about that. It is completely opposite, the exact opposite of what we as Americans view the culture to be. It, I think as Americans, we view it as a um, male-dominant society, and it's the, and what I mean by opposite is it is working off of the preferences of the females. It, it, it is the preference of the females that the males accommodate, which is to not be around males, to not be touching a male, to have their privacy, and to not be looked at. And, um, and, you know, to be able, it was interesting. We had one participant who was completely covered. Um, she was wearing the full burqa. Yeah. And what I got from that was she wanted to be seen for who she is and her intelligence, not judged by the way she looks. Wow, and I thought that was really beautiful because she's a beautiful person and really smart. You know, it was like it was like her being being there, uh huh, and and not you know without looks. Right, right. Sort of, uh, sort of the uh, anonymous um, uh, manuscript review, where. <laughs> Where, where all your biases are uh, taken out of the equation because you don't know who it is who's speaking to you. No, I don't see it that way. I guess, uh, no, well, it, it's, take... it's actually, okay, this is good. It's the opposite of that. It's like really making known who she is as a person and Which... not putting an, and absolutely, like, Right. Like, know me for who I am, not for my name or my, or my looks. Yeah. And most importantly, it's it's not who I am uh, uh, as judged and biased by my looks. It's who I am as how I communicate. You know, and it was, it was really interesting because... You know, I pay, I uh, pay a lot of attention to nonverbals uh-huh. when I'm talking with someone or when we're teaching the course. You know, I guess in certain situations, I could see that when you are when someone's fully covered, you need to give more of the basic assumption that um, that they're receiving the information well and that they're um, they're engaged and that sort of thing. Right. And I never had that concern with her. Which is interesting to me in this moment because I I, I didn't realize I, I it was so easy to give her 
the basic assumption the entire course because she was I don't know if it has anything to do with the garb that it was just like she was just such a beautiful person and when she had something to say it was so intelligent like very very thoughtful that right. it just made it easy to assume that she, her nonverbals behind all of that were engaging and of interest uh-huh but that's a big assumption you're making yeah it is a big assumption right she could have been uh you know uh, squinting and snorting and right. giving funny looks under absolutely uh, under the um, so does the garb barriers. actually help you in that way? I don't know. Like, what is the role of of all of that? Uh huh. On both ends. Right. Well, like like most things in life, it has it must have. It's advantages and disadvantages. You gain something and you lose something. Yeah. So so you 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 gain the freedom from biases about appearance, but you lose the nonverbals and messages you get from seeing a person fully in action. Well, I think what was interesting is like I, I just when I teach I pay so much attention to the nonverbals, and I feel like I've brought that to to a lot of my teachings. How important it is to focus on the nonverbals, but how important is it? I, yeah. I think it. I mean, it. What it's saying to me is that whole experience. What it's saying to me is that the basic assumption is so much more important than the nonverbals. So, uh, so it sounds like we ought to do a research study. <laughs> Have two groups. One group is completely covered. The other group is completely naked. And see, <laughs> see who learns the best. <laughs> Don't you think we should have a group of norms? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean people? Well, but there is no norm here. <laughs> I mean, you could compare American and, you know. Chinese and, you know, a group with just uniforms <laughs> and a group with Western clothing. <laughs> naked. <laughs> and then the naked group, I mean, and then the complete Abaya uh, group. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, well, but then, you know, I had this really great conversation with Shadi and Abdullah who were talking about um, the initial, not dating because they don't date, but their initial meetings with their wives. And we talked about the importance of eyes. And is it possible that all of the nonverbals can be seen in the eyes? How, you know, how much can you tell of a person from just their eyes? Interesting question. Uh, you know, it it seems like you're, you know, as the engineer here, it seems like you're losing information, but um, maybe not. And you know, I I have a very expressive face, and so I think I communicate a lot through my facial expressions. You do not have an expressive face, oh. <laughs> except for right now. No. <laughs> I have trouble sometimes reading you. Oh, uh, just because it's expressive, it doesn't mean it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think you 
Okay, yes, and you do have an expressive face, but you also have a poker face. When you want to have a poker face. When I want to play poker, absolutely. Oh my God. Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's interesting because I, um, I just read a book. Darn, I forget what the book was called. Um, but it talked about how the eyes, even we can pick up on each other's eye blinking and that even just a millisecond of either eye movement or blinking could is something that we naturally read. I think he even correlated it with how people meet in terms of male and female or partner to partner and find a connection that it's like the milliseconds of eye movements and eye blinking. So I don't know. I think it might be worthy of us um, talking with a eye expert to figure out the nonverbals in the eyes. So in our experiment, we need to blindfold half the naked people and uh, half the Oh, yeah, people. like full-on burkas, like the ones that cover the eyes, too. Right. right. Okay. Right. Or dark sunglasses, anyways. So, so I'm noticing that when my air conditioning system comes on... You have air conditioning in your closet? Uh, well, it's... Uh, it's I can hear the air conditioner come on in the house from really every room, uh-huh. and uh, I noticed when it came on that the baseline on my audio tracing um, picks it up. Really? So I haven't played it back, but I bet there's a difference. I bet you can see where the air conditioning's on and where it's off. Okay. Well, I guess James will look into it. Yeah. He'll so be able to tell us. Right, uh, I'll uh, probably have to uh, turn it off. So it just went off. It went from on to off, and it's a really obvious difference in the baseline. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> it's a really sensitive microphone. That's such an engineering thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm an engineer <laughs> with not um. a very expressive face. <laughs> With the poker, poker face. The poker face, yeah. Engineers um, don't play poker. It's a loser's game, mathematically. I know lots of engineers that play poker. Oh. You don't play poker. I don't. This engineer does play poker. You just play poker in other ways. I Perhaps I do. Okay, I'm not sure anything we talked about is podcastable, do you? Uh, no, but, but we could, <laughs> actually, we could, um, we, we could do something about cultures okay. and, and our experience in teaching different cultures and what, what I mean, that's like. Is that okay to talk about? I mean, there was only one participant that was completely covered, so it was clearly Yeah, so we'd probably have to stay away from that. But, um, you know, we could talk about. Uh, how how they seem to pick up advocacy inquiry. I, I don't think I saw a difference between cultures, all the cultures we've taught in terms of um, teaching here in the United States, teaching in Singapore, teaching in Hong Kong, teaching in Australia, teaching in Saudi Arabia. It was, I think everybody struggles with the same thing. And the questions were, on point, I, I don't think there was anything radically different about 
advocacy inquiry in Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. So when you start off, do, do you notice a difference in the number of guess what I'm thinking questions or the approach to, to questioning, the native approach? No, not the, the... the one thing I did notice, um, which became a big theme and kind of transformative, which is not, I don't think, again, it's, I don't think it's radically different than any other culture, is that I think we as healthcare educators, we typically focus on negative performance and fail to realize the importance of focusing on positive performance and the how one was able to achieve that, that could be a learning um, source for everyone else. So I think that was that was kind of a big theme, um, but I've seen that as a theme in, in many other cultures. And you know, you teach more in Hong Kong than I have. Have you seen a difference in advocacy inquiry or? No, that no, and I think that's a that's a surprising finding. Is that wherever I've gone, I've noticed their uh, ability to pick up advocacy inquiry and their feelings about it at the end of the course are really quite similar from culture to culture, even though the, you know, the kind of surface culture when you first, when you first start teaching somewhere and you realize that these people have different traditions and customs and uh, uh, especially around education in Asia, you know, always respecting the teacher and not, uh, you know, not volunteering answers. That's all very different. But really, it's a surface thing. And once you get past that, everybody's learning patterns and communication styles really are quite similar. Yeah. Yeah. I just wondered if you saw a difference in the Middle Eastern because that's one place where I haven't taught at all, and you have. I I didn't, and um, I mean uh, the same, the struggles were the same as any other culture we've taught the course in, and I I I, I actually <clears throat> if there's any element that I see different is um, you know we didn't we didn't talk about religion. I think it was kind of an unspoken understanding of the religious culture of the Saudis um, being that they prayed uh, four times during the course and we had prayer time built in. It just felt as though the principles of what we teach with advocacy inquiry being being honest and being transparent and really trying to get at other people's thoughts and not assuming what other, what another person's thinking it seemed as though it was very much in alignment with their religious beliefs, um, at least in the closing comments. And so it felt, it felt like there was, um, that it was relevant to the, to the religious practices of, of the culture. That's really quite interesting to me. Uh, Organized religion often shows itself to be quite opaque, uh, and there are lots of examples in, in really every religion, um, uh, and when, when those leak into the political world, you see them at their worst. 
So that's really interesting that that seems to be um, appealing. And I think appealing in, to people's basic values. Well, I don't think it's just their religion. I think in general, I, I mean, I, if anything, I think it's just highlighted for me, you know, what, what we perceive as how we should live and, and the ethical values that we all have, generally speaking with our kids and in society, just how we function. I think we often forget to apply it in the educational setting. And I think that the fact that we ask people to be transparent and honest and really try to figure out where your learner's at is asking one to apply many of their ethical values into what they do in, in the educational setting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can certainly understand that and, and believe that that's true on an individual basis. It's just that organized religion have a... Uh, religions have a very strong tradition of censorship, for example, okay. and of of insisting that people not say certain kinds of things, and uh, and you know that's the opposite of being transparent. Okay, just trying to find the correlation between organized religion and individual beliefs or individual practice and what we teach. I mean, if you think of it, during our workshop and what we do is we provide a structure for individual practice. And so in some ways, we're organized education, mm -hmm. asking one to find their authentic voice using the structure. So in some ways, I would dare to say we are kind of like an organized we correlate with an organized religion well, and depend on individual practice. Yes, yeah, some people have described us as, you know, being a, a religion. And, you know, and, <laughs> really? And, yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I could know, see drink, the correlation. I wouldn't say Drinking the Kool-Aid and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> this has been DJ Simulationistas. What's up? with Dan Raymer and Janice Pelaganis. Thanks so much for listening. Check back next week for another episode. See you next time. <laughs>